Well, um, anyone here ever get headaches? Headaches? Yeah. You know, uh, I, I've had headaches before, you know, I mean, I've had, you know, I used to actually uh, have this thing with chocolate. Anybody like chocolate here? Chocolate? I love chocolate, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I really, you know, every, almost every day I'd eat a little chocolate. I had a little chocolate addiction. I was a bit of a chocoholic, and I liked it, right? And so, uh, but one of the things I recognized a number of years ago is when I ate chocolate, like after 5 o'clock, I'd get a headache at night. I mean, not like a big killer headache, but a headache. It was, just, it was, it was uncomfortable. And then this, just right at the first of the year, you know, kind of flip the year, um, I started to get these excruciatingly painful headaches. And, you know, I could manage it with Excedrin or ibuprofen or something like that. Uh, but uh, all of a sudden, I was getting these just killer headaches. I couldn't figure out what that was all about. And so, I was right about Super Bowl weekend. Uh, I've never missed preaching on Sunday in 16 years of being a senior pastor uh, for, for sickness. I've never done that, okay? But there I was, 3 o'clock in the morning. I, was, I had this bender going on in my head. And I could not understand where that all came from. Uh, I, I, had, I got Vicodin. That didn't work. I got uh, uh, ibuprofen, etc. About 7 o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings, typically I kind of just go through and do a once through through the, through, the, through the message just to make sure I got things, you know, together and all that stuff. And uh, I was going doing my once through, even though I had this headache going on. It was a killer headache. And about the middle of that message, I was giving myself... I'll tell you, I had to make a mad dash to the bathroom because the nausea was so great, it just about killed me. My wife said, Brad, <laughs> you're not going to church today. You're going to the emergency room. I said, okay, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, again, tried to figure it all out, you know, had, had uh, uh, a CAT scan that day, had MRIs, MRAs. I did blood tests to figure it all out. What that discovery, it really all that to discover what wasn't wrong with me. No tumors, praise the Lord, you know, all that stuff. But then I started doing my own self-evaluation. Every time I got one of those headaches, it was when I ate something sweet, which was quite often, right? Because I like, I like pie, I like cake, I like sugar, I love chocolate, you know. I love peanut M&Ms. I, I love those, right? I love, you know, those, those uh, uh, chocolate-covered Coconut-covered almonds you get at Costco in a big bag. Anybody like those? Anybody had those? Those are just killer. But I can't have them anymore. Why? Headaches. Headaches. I've eliminated, for the most part, all sugar out of my diet and most white flour out of my diet because of headaches. Now, the great thing is, is that my wife says, you know, Brad, you've lost weight. You actually look better, Brad. And that's all that counts, right? Right? That's all that counts. Praise the Lord. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, the other thing that came of this is that I couldn't really empathize or sympathize with you people who have migraine headaches or a lot of heavy-duty pain. Because I have a to high tolerance for pain generally, right? But suddenly it's like, I have huge empathy for people with massive headaches and back pain or anything like that. I really do. God has given me a bit of a gift of mercy coming with that whole thing. So in essence, 
what's happened is God has, God has given some, brought some enormous good that's come out of this whole headache thing. See, this is the principle of the greater good, how God shapes people for a higher purpose through difficulties. By allowing difficulties to come into our lives, and those difficulties I'm going to call crucibles, crucibles. I actually got that word uh, a number of months ago from Frank Damasio. He preached a great sermon on that, but crucibles. And I'm going to call these crucibles for the greater good. Crucibles, I got this from Google the other day, um, are a ceramic or metal container in which metals or other substances may be melted or subjected to very high temperatures or a place or occasion of severe test or trial or a place or situation in which different elements interact to produce something new. Interesting, huh? This is my definition. Okay, Brad's definition of crucible. An occasion where God allows the severe heat of life to test us and shape us into something new. It's ultimately very good, just never feels that way at the time. Ever. Okay? Okay. So... And what I want to do, uh, that's where we're going to go today. And so to go there, I want to look at the true story of Joseph in the Bible and just, you know, give credit where credit due. The idea for this whole series and the context of, of, of a bit of this, this message comes from the book, How God Shapes Men by Patrick Morley. And this principle can be summarized. Uh, God makes men and women by orchestrating even the toughest, toughest circumstances for a greater good. Okay? So, no one knew this better, I don't think, than Joseph. Okay. Let's look at the life of Joseph in the Bible. Just give you a little background of Joseph. Joseph lived about 1800 BC. Uh, that's about 400 years before the Exodus. Um, uh, he had, he had uh, 11 brothers, uh, sons of, of Jacob. He was the, the number 11. Okay, he was number 11 in the whole line. Um, his dad loved him most because he was the, 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 the one brother that was born from Rachel, his one beloved wife. Okay, so he loved uh, uh, Joseph most and his brothers knew it. In fact, he gave him, he gave him at one point, uh, he gave him this incredible superstar LeBron James autographed uh, authentic NBA jersey. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't that. It was actually a multicolor robe that none of the other bros got, right? And uh, uh, his bros didn't like that. And to the, add to the problem, Joseph began to get these prophetic dreams. And one of the dreams stated that uh, basically his brothers and his father would at one point in life bow down to Joseph. Now, it's one thing to get a prophetic dream like that. It's another thing to share a prophetic dream like that, right? Because that kind of comes across a little arrogant. And Joseph's about 17 years old and when, when this happens. Well, his brothers are out. Uh, they're, they're, they're actually tending the, 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 the flocks way out in the field. Some of you know the story, but I'll just recount it a little bit. Uh, they're out way out, way, way out. And Jacob, the father, sends Joseph to them. Well, unbeknownst to Joseph, uh, they're plotting to kill him because they've had it up to here with little bro Joe. They have, okay? So let's pick up the story there. It's, uh, it's actually in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, I just want to read verses 19 to 28 because this is, this is really key, okay? This is what happens. This is brothers say this. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. 
Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So the Midianite merchants came by. His brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels. It's about 180 bucks, okay? Uh, 120 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Um, now, get this. This is the first recorded instance of human trafficking in the Bible. Okay? Uh, and this is the first crucible for the greater good. It's the relational crucible. The relational crucible. It's all about rejection and abandonment. If you have ever been divorced and didn't want it, you're the party that didn't want it, you have been in this crucible. You have been in this crucible. Uh, you have a good idea how Joseph felt. I mean, think about how he was feeling. Uh, joyfully comes to meet his bros, right? They grab him, they throw him down a well, pull him back out, trash him verbally, I'm sure. Uh, uh, we're not going to bow down to you. Who do you think you are? Ha! Huh. They mock him, spit on him, I imagine, tear his coat off, and they sell him and totally abandon him, and everything he loves is literally torn away from him. Now, again, you ever had an experience similar to that in life? You ever been there? I've talked to a number of people who've been divorced who didn't want it, and that's about how they feel. It really is. And it's really, really painful. And in the middle of that relational trial and rejection of any sort, it's never fun. And oftentimes, this is what we say. Why, God? Why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Ever said that? Ever said that? Yeah. Now, better question better question is this. And this takes faith. Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? What are you trying to teach me in this? Okay. And here's a better question, key question we need to constantly ask ourselves. Is this going to make me bitter or better? Bitter or better? In the midst of great difficulties, as a man who reads the Bible daily and loves Jesus and, and so wants to do his will, I've pondered what the Lord spoke through Jesus' little brother James, who said this in James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm working on this verse. I'm working on it. 
Still don't got it down. Okay? Anyone heard those verses before? Heard those verses? Do you got it down? Can you, will you be my mentor, please, if you do? Okay? I tell you. I've experienced my share of rejection and abandonment. I mean, you know, early on, you know, in my teens, I was dumped by a number of girlfriends. Uh, uh, I've been, been dissed by customers. Um, and, 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 but I got to tell you, as a senior pastor for 16 years, the pain of investing in people spiritually, then sometimes they just leave the church, leave the relationship, and they never tell you why. Now, that hurts. And sometimes they tell you too much. That hurts a little more. Okay? And sometimes a faction forms against you, and that, friends, is a crucible. Last year, 2014, that happened in the church I was leading over in Sherwood. And it caused greater emotional pain for an extended period of time uh, than ever before. It was the most painful year of my life by like a long shot. Dear friends, suddenly saying things about you that aren't true, doing things, um, I mean, that, that it just blindsided me. The rejection, the grief of lost friendships and relationships, all that stuff. And I had to do a lot, a lot of soul searching. Lord, what did I do to deserve this? I'm just trying to serve you. Search me, Lord. And the Lord taught me a lot about emotional maturity through it all. But it was so painful. So, so painful. Yeah. And honestly, I wanted to quit like a thousand times. Sometimes when people leave, you know, the church, I just, hey, can I go too? Can I go too? God says, no, you got to stay, Brad. Mm. I love them. You know? And I asked God if he was done with me. And here's the great thing. I went to some really wise pastor friends who advised me the whole year and walked with me. And one of those people was Pastor Stan. I'm so, so grateful for our pastor See, it's our pastor now. I'm part of this church now. Isn't that awesome? I'll get to that, okay? But let me be in pain for a moment, okay? Yeah. But without getting into detail, I can now see God's hand all over last year. He allowed that to happen, and I'm beginning to see the greater good already. It's amazing. And I'll tell you this, folks. Um, why, that's why we need the church that's why we need to get connected in life groups. That's why we need to serve. We need to be together and do life together because you don't want to go through a relational crucible alone. You just don't want to. And I believe I'm a better man for it, and I'm not bitter. I hope someday I can reconcile with these folks. I'm ready. I'm ready right now. Okay? Because, again, I see God's hand all in it. If you've been through a relational crucible and you're still bitter, and you see or think about that person and it just makes you sick, ask God daily to help you forgive them. Help you to forgive them. Ask God to replace the hate with love. Ask God to make your bitterness betterness. Really, okay? And I believe that's the path Joseph took. He's a man of such high integrity and the path God has led me on to. But I gotta tell you, I'm no Joseph. See, Joseph is sold to the Ishmaelites. He's abandoned. He's beat up, rejected by his brothers. But then he's sold again to Potiphar, a rich Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials. And 
it was an amazing turn of events for Joseph because uh, the Bible says in Genesis 39.2, the Lord was with Joseph. Can you believe that? He's like in a crucible and he's, the Lord's with him, right? So that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. Joseph was like, he went from the bottom of the cistern to the top of the world. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Joseph was suddenly there. Potiphar puts him in charge of his whole household. Everything prospers. Joseph does an incredible job. And then Potiphar's wife comes along. And she's like this, you know, uh, as Egypt turns girl, right? She's ready. It's the soap opera's going, right? And so she's, 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 she's down there, and uh, she just keeps, you know, lustfully coming on to, to Joseph. And Joseph says, that would be a great sin against God. And, and friends, it is. No matter how it feels, it just is. And then she comes on to him, she corners him, she grabs him by his robe, his cloak, it says, and he just runs, and that's the best response, guys especially, run, right? Yeah. Now, you know, every time Joseph loses an outer garment, <laughs> it's probably a clue that he's going to be headed for a crucible. And this is no different. Because now, she yells, she cries out that he raped her. She lies. He not only gets fired, he gets thrown in jail for at least two years. Right? This is what's called the injustice crucible. The injustice crucible. Okay? Why, God, why? Ever had your character questioned, and it's questioned by someone who is just way off ever? These days especially, and unfortunately in business, in government, in neighborhoods, in colleges, schools, sometimes even in churches, many people have no moral compass or have just lost theirs. Laws are made these days without any moral compass. Up in Washington State a couple years ago, same day. The same day, and people kind of, they actually twist scripture to make this all work, right? Okay. So same day, uh, uh, a marijuana law was passed, recreational marijuana and gay marriage. Okay. Now, I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole, whole sermon, but it's interesting because Leviticus 20.13 says, if a man lay with another man, they shall be stoned, right? So just think about that. <coughs> <coughs> yeah. It is what it is, okay? <laughs> listen, listen. Sometimes when we get accused of doing things that's just not true, it really hurts. Okay? This is where we really need to believe God. Psalm 37, 5 and 6 say this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication, I love that word vindication. Your vindication like the noonday sun. Isaiah 61.8 says this, for, the, for, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate rob robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Now, most often, the relational crucible and the injustice crucible go hand in hand. When people reject you, in their own minds, they need to justify it, so they attempt to find all sorts of things wrong with you, right? So they begin to make a list, 
of things to confirm their bias against you, right? This, 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 this. I learned this from Pastor Stan last year as he was walking through this with me. He called it confirmation bias are the words. It just confirms a bias against you. And I just say this, if you have to start making a list from somebody, that's not God talking. That's the devil working in your life. The devil loves lists and he loves condemnation. That's what he likes. Bible says, as Christ followers, we're supposed to make allowance for other people's faults. That's what it says. Can you believe that? Yeah. I hope you can make allowance for mine. Honestly. And if you got a list against me, I got a bigger one against me. Honestly. I can make a bigger list than yours. Is that all you got? Come on. You know? Really. Okay? And, and, and here's the thing, too. You know, sometimes we want to take it in our own hands and get justice. You know, and, and, but Romans 12, 19 through 21 says this, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave ro room for the Lord's wrath, for it is written, In my revenge I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing to this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You start being kind to someone who's your enemy, your heart will change. You will. It will. You know? so, so justice, justice. If you think you have a problem or an injustice in your life, I watched a movie the other day. It's called Girls Rising. It's about the injustices of women all over the planet for like centuries. And I'm so glad we have Remember New here. I'm so glad. It's unbelievable what God's doing. Watch that movie and then think about your own little petty injustice. Okay? Think about that. And the truth is, when we start trying to seek our own justice, it can only make us bitter. And bitterness, I've learned over the years, is anger with mold on it. Okay? Yeah. Okay? And depression is anger turned inward. That's what it is. You know? And when we seek our own justice, it can only make us bitter. And it can make us sick and cause us to fall into another crucible I'm going to call the health crucible. Now, listen. Uh, things can happen at any time that have nothing to do with being bitter. Stuff happens, as the bumper sticker states, right? Okay? Sudden downturn in health. A loved one gets really sick, and, and, and we're elected to provide constant care for like ever. Okay? That's hard. A tragic loss of a loved one. A near-death accident. Last week, la last year, that happened to one of Horizon's seniors. I had a conversation with him this last week. Let's watch. Hey, I'm with Trent Pius, and uh, if you don't know Trent, Trent just graduated from uh, Horizon Christian High School. He's a hawk through and through. He's been here for four years now. I've watched him play baseball. I've watched him play basketball. He's an incredible athlete. And uh, this year was a great year for Trent. Uh, he, um, he actually won All-State Player of the Year in basketball. And uh, then, you know, of course, my favorite sport is baseball. Uh, he, uh, he played on the team with, with my son Willie and then with, uh, with Nathan as well, but um, uh, just came up a little short in baseball this year. But it was an awesome year uh, for you in, in a lot of different ways, but uh, this year didn't happen almost.
which is kind of scary. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, so this last year on July 4th, uh, I was in a car with two of my friends, uh, Lauren and Sarah, and uh, we are coming down the road and I was giving directions and we are about to miss a turn we were supposed to take, so I said, oh, well, we were supposed to turn there. And right after I said that, the driver cranked the wheel and uh, we ended up hitting a tree dead on going 45 miles per hour. And uh, I was rushed to the hospital and ended up having surgery on my small intestine. Uh, which saved my life and uh, my recovery took me about two months uh, so I was just laying in bed bedridden for that that time period and uh, you know I just had to recover through all that just build my strength back I ended up losing 25 pounds and uh, yeah I mean it was just a tough thing to come back from but wow wow that's unbelievable I saw you early in the school year and I, I saw that you had lost quite a bit of weight and it was, it was a pretty scary event for you. Yeah, it, I mean, there's so many things I could go on and on about that I experienced that were just terrifying. Yeah. Um, but, you wow. know, I mean, I was comforted a lot by my friends. And honestly, like, one of my experiences with God, like, when I was in the ambulance, I was comforted a lot because I just I had so much pain. And I remember I was just praying. I was like, please comfort me. Please take away this pain. And it, I remember this feeling from head to toe. I remember the feeling. Just, wow. I was comforted. Wow. It was crazy. It was amazing. That's awesome. So, so now, you know, you, you never want to do that again, right? No. Okay. But in hindsight, um, tell, us, tell us how that changed you. I think I just, I appreciate life a lot more now. Um, I realize how quickly life can be taken and how precious it really is. And I remember when I was in the ambulance, I just had this one thought and it just kept playing through my mind. And it was just, the, it just hit me so hard. It was what mattered with my life, except for what I do with it for God. And mm. that just hit me hard. Like, because I mean, at that moment, I had, no, I had no control of my life. It wasn't in my hands anymore. And I remember just thinking, like, have I done enough for God? Like, have I done enough for His name, like, to bring people to Him? And that's just, I just couldn't get that out of my mind the entire ambulance ride. I just remember that. And, uh, I mean, that's just, a, that's affected me more than anything. Just remembering, like, I literally, I'm on earth to serve him. And that's oh, what that's I need so to do. That's so awesome, Trent. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm an old school guy, Trent. And uh, uh, I happen to notice you've got something on your yeah. wrist there. Yeah. And it happens to be a tattoo of all things, Trent. Yeah. What's with that? Come on. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So tell us about that real quick. Tell, tell us what that, what's that mean? You got um, a cross on there? And so I got Roman numerals of 7-4-2014 and then a cross. So the date of the crash and then the cross, just remember the reason really I'm here is just from the grace of God. Just, uh, I mean, without, I don't, I don't think I'd be here without the prayer that took place that night and just with God being there through the whole time. And just kind of reminds me of how lucky I am to be here and just uh, the lessons I learned through the entire experience. Okay, okay so Trent, um, you're off to college now, mm -hmm. Northwest Christian down in Eugene. Yep. You're going to be playing hoop. Yes, uh, you got an academic and athletic scholarship down there. So that's so awesome. I can't wait to see what God's going to do from here on out with this story and the rest of your life. And uh, I just want to thank you for the honor it is for me to do this and also watch you play because it's, it's, it's a joy. So not only to me, but to many, many people. So God bless you, brother. Can you imagine the crucible he was in? Two months in bed. Imagine 
crucible his parents were in. His friends, I just praise God for Trent, his heart, his attitude, you know, how God captured his attention like never before through an accident. God didn't cause that accident, but allowed that accident to happen. The health crucible. Been through the relational crucible, the injustice crucible, the health crucible, and Joseph was in jail, right? And he wasn't getting bitter. I think he was getting better. And the warden put Joseph in charge of the whole prison. And it's amazing what God does. Amazing. And although Joseph already knew God deeply, going to jail was not only the best thing to happen to Joseph, but the best thing to happen to Egypt and beyond. See, a couple of Pharaoh's servants, they get thrown in the slammer with Joseph. Yeah. It was a cupbearer and a baker. And they have a couple of dreams, and they come to Joseph, and Joseph interprets those dreams. The baker, actually, it's a nightmare because he gets impaled on a pole, right? What it was. And then, but the cupbearer, he gets restored to serving Pharaoh. And Joseph asks him, say, you know, remember me when you go back to Pharaoh. Well, he forgets about him until Pharaoh has a couple of dreams himself. And so Pharaoh can't find anyone to interpret the dream, but the cupbearer says, hey, I knew this guy in jail. His name was Joe. He can interpret dreams. Yeah. And so they get Joseph. They clean him all up, put him before Pharaoh. And uh, it's amazing. Pharaoh tells Joseph, both of the dreams, and then Genesis 41.25 says this, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And what God is about to do is to give Egypt seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of extreme famine. In fact, he's going to put Egypt in in an economic crucible. An economic crucible crucible, which is the last crucible. This crucible is so common, friends. Uh, Sometimes we have a dream. Uh, We get the job of our dreams or start the business of our dreams. We think, and then something happens. It doesn't work out, and the questions return. Why, God? What did I do to deserve this, God? I prayed about this. I knew it was your will, God. Now I'm broke. What's with that, God? Finances and economics have caused many people crucible experiences. I mean, anyone here want more money? Anyone? Be honest. Come on. You can raise your hand. Yeah, it's church. Be honest. Yeah, okay. We all pretty much would like a little more moolah, right? Okay? Yeah. And, and uh, uh, But here's what I've learned over the years. Very few people can handle a lot of money. Oftentimes, it causes them disaster. I've just seen it. Now, I'd like to give it a shot, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But I've seen it. I've seen guys, I mean, friends, get millions of dollars. And I'll tell you, it's really hurt their relationship with God. I've seen divorce happen a few times in that case. I mean, it's just painful to watch. You know, you know everyone wants more money and a better economic situation. But again, few can handle it. Yeah. And this is one of the things I've observed and experienced, which is consistent with the Bible. When we are in need financially, God seems to work in our lives more because we need him. When we're in need, we have a more tendency to kneel, right? That's just how it works, you know? Now listen, 
God is always working. I'm for the rich and the poor. I'm for them all. But I'm also for this, for no matter where you're at, whatever your position you are financially, is that we give our first fruits to the Lord. We tithe. We tithe. It's just an important principle. And I believe this. I saw 2008, right, when that all came. And I have this observation as a senior pastor. People who tithe on a regular basis, it's like God put this umbrella of grace financially over their head and protected them from the economic disaster. I mean, it's kind of strange, honestly. Now, it doesn't mean they were, like, prospered and all that stuff. I'm not into that whole prosperity gospel thing, okay? But it's amazing. I tell my wife and I say this. Um, some people say, I can't afford to tithe. I say, we can't afford not to. We need God's umbrella of grace over us. But I've seen so many people reconciled to God and each other when things are lean. Joseph was reconciled to his family through famine. They, Joseph's brothers and father, were in an economic crucible more than Joseph was. So Jacob, Joseph's father, says to his sons, Genesis 42.2, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. So the brothers go down to Egypt. They actually meet Joseph. Joseph doesn't reveal himself because he looks different after all these years, right? Um, doesn't reveal who he was, but he plays kind of a trick on the brothers and has one of them stay back, right? And he says, you go get your other brother and bring him down. Come on back. So they do, right? They do. And they, they come before Joseph again. And Joseph's emotions run the gamut, but he still loves them deeply. Just like people that left, you know, that I had a relationship with, I love them deeply. I hope one day we can reconcile. I really do. I really, I'm ready. I'm ready. Joseph was ready, but it, and he's got this flood of emotion. Genesis 45, 1 through 3 says this. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence so there was there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. But they were reconciled. And, you know, this amazing True story begins to wind down. Joseph is reunited with his father. His brothers are still feeling a little guilty, probably as they should, right? Okay? But Joseph's not bitter. He's better, way better. And he says something so amazing to them in Genesis 50, 20. He says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God had a greater plan and purpose, a greater good in mind, and allowed all this to happen. No matter where you're at right now, know God is in control. He will orchestrate even the toughest circumstances in your life and mine for the greater good. Question is, where are you at? I love to do this connection card. I'd ask everybody to pull out this, this, this connection card. We, you know, if, you, if you're going through something, just write, write down a prayer. Write down a prayer, and then a takeaway from God's word today. What's your takeaway? Bitter, not better, or better, not bitter? Maybe that's it. Whatever it is, maybe you need to go forgive somebody and let it go. 
We're only in charge of cleaning our side of the street. It, it, it's, it's so important. But write something down, because if you write something down, you're more apt to follow through with it. A physical action confirms a spiritual reality. I really believe that. So important. You know, you think of Jesus. He went through the ultimate crucible, the ultimate relational crucible, the ultimate injustice crucible. And this is what I, I, I just know about God. He takes the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to us and turns it into the best. That's just how he works. He took the absolute worst thing that we did in all of human history when we killed God. He took the worst thing and made it the best for us. Can you believe that? That's what he does. Jesus suffered through that crucible for us. That's what he did to forgive us all our sins. Last year, it's the toughest year of my life by a long shot. I felt rejected and abandoned like never before. It was hard, so hard. But I know God allowed it. I know now. But as I think about Pastor Stan, and I think about this great 2020 vision God has given him. I think about my heart for church planting. I think about how God was orchestrating things together so we could come together as one church. I think about that. And I think about all the lost people out there that I know our pastor has a huge heart for. All over Southwest Florida. They don't know Jesus. They're headed to a Christless eternity. And I really believe God orchestrated last year. So even though we had this conversation beforehand, so he'd probably just say, Brad, you just got to do this. And we came together for the saving of many lives, folks. And I think about that. I look at James 1.12. I love this verse. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I'm not there yet, but God's working on me and in me to get there. I hope he is you too.